0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me this week is the wonderful William Gallagher. Oh, I like that. Hello, our wonderful Victor. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, William. I'm so glad to have you here.
1: Thanks. It's a treat to be on here. I like the canteen you've got. I've said this before. It's nice place here.
0: Yeah. Now, the canteen, of course, is only open for a limited number of hours during the day, but we'll make sure that when they are, they serve excellent tea.
1: Thank you very much. Yes.
0: Yeah. Oolong, Earl Grey, no herbal.
1: Uh, Yorkshire tea. If we're getting this specific and you're picking up on my English accent, Yorkshire tea, uh, soft water, a little bit of milk, uh, no sugar, please. Okay.
0: Got it. I'll get right on that. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I do. We should talk a little bit about a story that Mikey Campbell published on the site this week. Now, this is this is one that we've been covering for ages. This is a story going back two years. But uh, your favorite analyst and mine, Ming-Chi Kuo, believes that Apple still has autonomous vehicle aspirations. That Project Titan, as we've been calling it all this time is going to result in a shipping consumer product that could be available as early as 2023. You know, a, an actual Apple car, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: yeah. 20, you see, as uh, the phrase was, as early as 2023, but I'm thinking, well, that's five years away Prediction. addiction. Uh, I don't know. I, I like it to be true.
0: You you say that, but I'm going to keep bringing it up every time we have a story that Mikey writes about it. So the, the Apple car is Mikey's beat, as it were. And every time the story comes up, the question is, will there be a car or is Apple simply working on telematics to provide a platform that they'll work with some other partner on?
1: It's a curious thing, isn't it? Because everything we've heard so far is that they tried to have their own platform and chose for various reasons to go the other route. And yet it feels more Apple-like to try, at least try to do the complete uh, thing in one. Um, maybe I'm wrong. They abandoned monitors, at least for a bit. But yeah, it doesn't feel like it would be an Apple car if it was a Tesla with, uh, I don't know, a, a spectacular version of CarPlay added to not it, isn't it?
0: Well and and thinking about that's interesting because the first Tesla was in fact a Lotus. Oh no, I didn't know that. The original Tesla Roadster was a Lotus that they gutted and put all of their bits into. And the reason they stopped doing that and went to build the Model S was because it it turned out there were in fact no cost savings by using the Lotus platform. It was it was actually worse. Well that's interesting. It was more expensive to to by Lotus platforms and retrofit.
1: Traditionally, the, the, the motor industry has claimed, that well, actually, much like the phone industry, that a new company can't just come in and do something because it's, it's, the complexity uh, is so much greater than I might imagine as an ordinary driver. Uh, but it does sound like, yeah, I'm, maybe it's just I want this to be true, but I'm finding reasons to be convinced by it. Um,
0: mm-hmm. So historically, the the way that Apple got into phones was they originally partnered with Motorola, on a on a phone, a regular feature phone type handset that had iTunes synchronization capability built into it. Yes, a it.
1: terrible, terrible phone called the the
0: Rocker Error,
1: wasn't it? Just dreadful. that's right.
0: Yeah, it was the Moto Rocker, yeah. and you could tell at the announcement at the keynote that Steve Jobs was holding back. Yes. Any any kind of vitriol that he might have reserved for the thing to make the announcement of success. And, and you know, there are people that watch Steve Jobs' keynotes. And I think the times that you really learn the most from those keynotes are when you're watching him announce something he doesn't want to announce. When you're watching him deal with a PR fiasco that he would have rather not had to have dealt with, like the iPhone 4 antenna gate nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Or when he doesn't have anything of significance to announce like if you go back to the the 2001 time frame when he announced the Flower Power and Dalmatian Blue iMac models.
1: Yes, that was back when uh, they had to announce things because they were at Macworld and Macworld was on a fixed schedule. And maybe that contributed to why they abandoned that and only do
0: their own. Although- oh, absolutely it did. Yeah. So yes. the... You know, are they going to make a car is a good question. And I I agree with you. They do their best and they are happiest when they have control over every part of the product. And I I think the lesson to learn from the displays, as you mentioned, and I would also add to that, the airport Wi-Fi routers that they've gotten out of, is that they leave these segments when they feel like the rest of the market has caught up and there's nothing left exciting to contribute, Okay, that
1: feels quite um, magnanimous of them. Uh, like yeah, We have created this market. We have dispensed wisdom. And now the rest of you can just carry on in our field. But that does seem to be well, what happened with Wi-Fi, yes. So,
0: I mean, with, not only with Wi-Fi. If you go back historically, right? Printers, they had laser writers when laser printers were a big deal. That's they true. had inkjet printers that were essentially uh, partner-made products with Canon and others that they got out of when they were no longer a big deal, Right they had digital cameras. They had the quick shot cameras, quick take, and they got out of that as well.
1: Great. Now you say it, it's a, it is a pattern, isn't it? I hadn't seen that. I used to have one of those laser writers. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, in that case, it's absolutely definitely true. I'm crossing my fingers, but you think we'll see Apple and somebody else first and then Apple
0: I'm not, I'm not sure. That's that's the historical yeah. pattern, but on a thing this big that is this I- important to them, right? If they were announcing this, it would yeah. be a Halo product. And in fact, Quo says that this could take the pro- the company towards the two trillion dollar valuation, right? Doubling yeah. where they are today. So, if if that's true. Would they want to share that with anyone else? Now, obviously, they're going to be using tons of partner manufacturers as they currently do for all the other products. They don't actually own the manufacturing capacity anyway. But they would want Mm. it to be a fully Apple-branded product, not a partner product.
1: True. I don't see them getting into making rubber for the tires, uh, for example. They will buy in for that. just this reminds starting to remind me of the apple watch which we were waiting for for so long um and then in 2015 when they finally announced it uh they how long did they say they've been working on it not as long as we thought i think but this feels the same and it i don't know i love my apple watch and i think it's been a great success for apple but when it was on its way everybody was expecting it to be the new iphone the new giant thing and it and it hasn't been that and I, Possibly don't think it could ever have been. Yet that kind of anticipation feeling um, didn't really have it over even the AirPods, which I adore, the HomePod, which seems great. But I'm starting to get it now with the car. So now this is just all adding to me wanting it. doesn't well, help whether it's
0: true. I feel like with the watch and AirPods that this is a they, – there are pieces of a puzzle that is still coming together That that we can't quite see all of the pieces in place yet. But – the idea is what if you don't have to take your phone out of the pocket every time? What if you can leave your phone at home some of the time? And if you've got the watch and the AirPods, then you've got a decent amount of input and interaction with a device that doesn't require taking this big screen of glass out of your phone out of your pocket. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about augmented reality and Tim Cook's vision for augmented reality. Currently, that relies on the phone glass, but there's also been a lot of talk about micro displays and glasses and things like that. And of course, the problem with glasses is that are obtrusive, but presuming that Apple knows what they're doing and wants to make glasses that are inobtrusive, then imagine you have that as a display, you've got the watch as a secondary display, and you've got the AirPods for audio that's augmented reality and interaction. Then you've got something that comes together where you don't need the phone any longer.
1: Which is, you know, can you imagine any other company doing that? They have this brilliant phone. Most of them, Microsoft, they would be milking it every possible way forever until it died. But Apple does have this habit of just tossing aside something. I remember with the, with the iPad mini, incredible success. Totally wiped it out and replaced it with something else. Uh, uh, better, if you like. But constantly moving forward and chucking things away. It's quite animalistic and impressive. I think, and I don't know any other company.
0: You, you have to be it? willing mm. to kill your children and think of the products as children because they, they do take nine months to two years to give birth to. But you, you have to be willing to kill them before someone else does.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm a writer, so the phrase killing your children and your babies, uh, it talks very specifically about things that are really personal to you and you have to have a certain detachment, which is true here. But then that part you say there about competitors. Uh, coming in and things uh, cannibalizing your own sales that's the phrase and it's yes uh, surely that's how apple has been heading has how it's got to the first trillion seems reasonable to think that's how it will get to the next
0: now the thing about the car ownership for me is interesting because i think we're, we're talking clearly about an autonomous car here that's one of the things that apple and tesla and everyone else is also working towards yeah if the car ownership changes in the future potentially does if if cars are autonomous and you can use car services to call them and page them when you want do you have to own a car necessarily what is the advantage of owning a car if you can have one come whenever you like
1: the, I think there is a personality thing. There have been times in my life when I've enjoyed having my car and driving everywhere. But right now, it's just this bucket of metal that I have to service too often. Uh, right now, I'm more into the journey. Uh, so I lean towards uh, just, you know, snapping your fingers and the nearest one coming to you. But are other people... No, I can see it as a uh, personal identity as well. But you're right. Over time, Steve Jobs had an interesting phrase about uh, typing or something on computers. I think he said that uh, ultimately death will sort out the problem. Because as new people come along, they don't have the old expectations and they do embrace the new. So yes, maybe we are the last car owning generation.
0: Wow, you know we, we you and I grew up associating car ownership and driver's licenses with personal freedom,
1: yes, yes, we did
0: and yeah i I think what we're seeing is the unbundling of transportation because we we've got of course these these car services that come when you want them we've got car autonomy coming we've also got the the uh, bicycle programs for ride you know sharing, bicycle sharing that's littered around major cities. We've got the, uh, mm. the electric scooters that have been littered around like cities as well. Uh, I don't know if you've seen those yet, but they've been around in San Francisco no. and they're now in my city on the East coast as well. Uh, no. where what they're doing is these, these, uh, push scooters that you'd stand up and ride upon have an electric front wheel. They're, uh, sold by Xiaomi and others. And These companies have have attached a QR code and an app and a GPS to them. And basically, you scan the QR code with your phone, you pay a dollar to ride to your destination, and you ride on the scooter for however long.
1: That's great. Getting across London would be really – I mean,
0: we have the bikes here, but we don't have that. I really fancy that. Hurry up and bring it to London. So that's coming. And the thing that comes after that are electric bicycles and electric mopeds. Okay. And, you know, with electric with, well, yeah. you know, with London, you've got the uh, the whole congestion reduction and uh, emissions reduction acts, right? You want yes. to have fewer cars driving through London, congesting London, you want to have fewer cars driving through smogging up the place. And so all electric all littered all over the place at convenient locations to pick up makes a big difference, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. And London already is better since the congestion charge came in, however many years ago it was. Um, I just, uh, I'm, when I was thinking about the scooters, uh, I kind of run across London on foot a lot and leap in and out of the tube. So it's like individual transport and very bitty getting to this meeting, getting to that friend. Uh, and for that kind of thing, you yeah, have the ability to just step on a scooter and effectively throw it away at the other end, just bung it back yeah, in the Yeah, you, you
0: just drop but, it off and that's that, right? Yeah
1: oh i love that yes yes that's interesting that's actually making that appeals to me and i was briefly thinking that uh all of this talk of apple cars is making me more interested in driving um i had a test drive in a tesla recently and uh it was such a gorgeous thing even a you know, 10 minute drive i was hooked by the end and actually particularly about this um Uh, I remember the salesman was telling me about this auto sensing of the car ahead and it was speeding up and all this and I thought you know long time driver I will never trust that within seconds he was pointing out another control to me and I realised I was looking where he was pointing I'd just forgotten the road completely and it didn't matter because the car was dealing with me you really adapt to these things fast so even a long standing driver like me I think he's going to embrace these if they come as early as
0: 2023 yes now we should take a moment and let our listeners know that this episode is brought to you by jamf now jamf now makes it easy to set up manage and protect your apple devices it's easy to keep track of your own mac ipad or iphone but what about the other devices at work as a business grows so does its digital inventory making it harder to manage everyone's apple devices and this is especially true if employees are remote With Jamf Now, you can tech your digital inventory, distribute Wi-Fi and email settings, deploy apps, protect company data, and even lock or wipe a device from anywhere. Jamf Now manages devices so you can focus on your business instead, and there's no IT experience needed. Apple Insider podcast listeners can start securing your business today by setting up your first three devices for free forever. And you can add more for just $2 a month per device. Create your free account today at jamf.com slash Apple Insider. That's j-a-m-f dot com slash Insider. William, are you familiar with Warren Buffett at all?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. But I realize, actually, I know why you're mentioning him now, because he's bought Apple shares. I only ever seem to hear of this guy when he buys Apple shares, and he keeps buying them. Um, but he seems to be doing well with this.
0: Mr. Buffett is sometimes called the... Um, the Wizard of Omaha. And he has Berkshire Hathaway, and they've made money after money, money on top of money over the years through policies that, that he thinks are really quite simple. And of course, this is this is something that he's pretty much done since he became an adult. It's He's never worked for anywhere else. This has just been his thing. And it's grown and grown and grown. So clearly, he's doing something correctly. One of the things that he said years ago was that he would only buy a share in a company if he really felt like he wanted to own the whole company. That this was the way that he thought of ownership, that that if he would be willing to own the whole business, then he was willing to own a, a share of it. And with Apple, clearly he feels like this is a company that he could own or that he would like to own because he keeps buying, buying and buying. It looks as if... He has increased his position by five percent. Now that is two hundred and fifty-two million shares.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, he's serious about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's um, you know his his most recent purchase was uh, about twelve million some shares, or about five point four billion dollars. That's more money than I earned last year. Well, you need, okay. to, you need to change jobs, clearly. clearly. Or, or take on a second one. <laughs> right, you I'll could be that. working more, William. Come on. That is true. I'm sorry. Or
1: following Warren Buffett's advice. I, well, is it advice? He just keeps doing it. Does he have to tell people what he does? Because it doesn't seem like everybody rushes to copy him each time so and yet.
0: Here's the thing. you, When you've got a moment and are looking for something mildly entertaining to do, Look at the annual letters that they put out. They they publish their annual report, as companies tend to do. And theirs are easy to read. They're digestible and somewhat entertaining. And there are nuggets of the advice contained within. Okay. That's where I got this quote from that, that said that, you know, his policy was to own a whole own parts of the company if he felt like he'd own the whole company. And and looking at some of the things that he's owned over the years, he doesn't necessarily understand the whole business, or he doesn't necessarily feel like he could run the whole business. You know, he bought a farm at one point. They have they have a realty arm that does residential house sales. But that's not the detail. The detail is would he want to own that whole business? Not necessarily would he want to become a farmer or a realtor. And so there's all sorts of little bits of, of interesting bits in there. And, of course, I was mistaken earlier when I said he was the Wizard of Omaha. He is, in fact, the Oracle of Omaha because that <laughs> alliteration is important and I blew it. But, um, you know, his quote here, his quote here is, Apple was a company I liked, a business I liked very much, Buffett said in an interview. It was a company I liked, a business I liked very much, and we could buy a lot of it. I clearly like Apple and why buy him to hold? We bought about 5% of the company. I'd like to own 100% of it. So he says it again.
1: Okay. This doesn't sound like your typical business analyst investor. It feels like somebody who actually cares um, uh, in the detail rather than the money. I'm sure investors, you know, very clever and all this stuff, but it, it feels, well, maybe he's just got the money to indulge interests in it, but it's working out as a, a, seems to be working out as a business venture as well.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's Apple as a business is not incredibly hard to understand, Right. They make products, they sell products. They make services available for those products, and they sell those too, and they just happen to do quite a lot of it. There's, uh, it's, it's you're forgetting
1: that <laughs> Apple is also doomed
0: all the time. That's what I keep reading. So, <laughs> well, perennially, but <laughs> yes. um, and and also, by the way, supposedly Amazon is going to be the the real one oh, billion yes. dollar company, and and all That's sorts of absolutely. things like that. But. The the point is that Apple does things that are, are at a root level very easy to explain. It's not like trying to explain Bitcoin, for example. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And we've tried to do that on this show in the past and we could do it again, but you know, it's it's not like saying there are distributed applications held on a blockchain that is immutable and trading is done through exchanges, right? there are a lot of terms there that a lot of people won't really want to bother understanding apple they make products they sell them they make nice products which is why they sell a lot of them and they have a retail arm through which they can sell them and all of that is done tastefully and successfully that's that's a good reason to want to own that business wouldn't you say well certainly since it
1: works i mean No, I can't disagree, yes. My mind then, when you went about the stores, I suddenly thought about Microsoft stores, which I think are are well done, but they don't work out. But actually, uh, Microsoft, it's all tied to the products as well, isn't it? So Apple has a much clearer, much more easily embraceable set of products. So, yes, I completely agree. I fancy that business. Um, Shall we invest? Uh, uh,
0: Honestly, I already did.
1: Oh, cool. Okay, right.
0: I have uh, I have fewer than 100 shares. I've got probably around 40 shares, 30 shares, something like that. So you're not really competing with Warren Buffett uh, for Apple's attention. Not, no. not yeah. one bit. <laughs> now, you know, I you, you might say that my uh, my reporting and my coverage of Apple is colored by my investment by my holdings, um, but the the fact that I can't remember how many or few that I actually have should let on that I'm not that uh, that fussed. Well, actually,
1: I mean, you're a journalist, aren't you? And it's, uh, particularly in business, it's really useful sometimes to have a tiny share in any company because it immediately opens you to getting information uh, that they wouldn't release otherwise. So that's why most uh, – I was on BBC News for a while, and lots of people would do that sort of thing for that um, journalistic purposes.
0: There you go. We should also talk a little bit about Apple's expanding admissions in healthcare. Now we mentioned the Apple watch previously. Uh, Apple has of course their big health research center and it appears that they posted a job listing where they're looking for ASIC, which is uh, application specific integrated circuits or chip design architects to develop new sensors and sensing systems for future Apple products. And, it's, it seems to be that it's specifically in health, wellness, and fitness sensors. So, are you surprised by this revelation?
1: I wasn't expecting it, uh, but it's one of those where, in retrospect, I'm happy with it. I mean, as you said, like, my mind went to the fact that I, I'm in Britain, we're in the middle of uh, the Brexit stuff, and I don't know if the rest of the world cares, but it's had peculiar repercussions with passports and things. Even an argument about the color, it's just insane and the idea that actually a device that you would carry with you anyway always or wear on your watch would do the job of a passport that actually appeals to me
0: we covered that last week actually we covered that uh, apple has a patent on this and we talked about that last week um now i know i know you want your blue passport cover back
1: and i really don't care honestly
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm Yeah, the color.
1: Yeah, very important. <laughs> but, okay. yeah. That's so British, isn't it? I think to care about the color. Um, but yes, I want to keep my EU passport. But this is a whole other issue. Yes, I'm sorry. Is. I'm. I think I'm mixing things up here. Uh, Apple seems to be doing a lot of biomedical work.
0: Uh, then, well, they are, and and you know, there's this whole push to revolutionize what the uh, medical health record is. And Apple's been doing some work on this and using the health kit and care kit and uh, research kit data to guide that. They've got their health research center and they've got uh, or at least had applications open for some medical staff. That they were going to hire as a sort of Apple employee healthcare center, we thought. So there's a lot of interest in, in medical health and Apple trying to rewrite what a health record looks like and who has control over it, for example. For example, in America, patients don't really have access to or control over their health record. Doctors do. Yes. And – in other countries, in, in, uh I'm going to get this wrong, but forgive me, uh, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, something like this, uh, one of those, I believe that, that patients own the record and the record stays with them rather than the doctor necessarily. Um, and, and that's a very different, interesting position. Now, there was also a report that I had earlier this week that said that uh, Google and Amazon... And Microsoft were working on a plan to create a consortium to rewrite what a medical record is. So there's a lot of attention on this and really giving the patient access and giving the patient control. I I currently have access to my medical records from at least three different providers in HealthKit, actually, which is incredibly convenient. I can get test results and look them up and see what, what my vitals were the last time I was checked. It's really quite useful. It's, uh, I'd be slightly too scared to look,
1: I think, but the, having the ability is great. <laughs> I mean, we have a thing, the UK is so far behind on certain things, and one of them is is medical records. I mean, we have the fantastic NHS, but it's been just gutted from the inside with uh, budget cuts and things. We have this issue now that a lot of local healthcare providers, it's still all the records are on paper. And there are moves to slowly move them onto digital, but there's some uh, pushback of people not wanting things to go onto digital. And and I do understand the security, but the idea: if I uh, get incredibly ill in Glasgow, I don't want a delay of uh, them finding out some condition I've got because I live in Birmingham or London or somewhere. I want people to have that ability to know what's right and to fix me. Um, but I realise actually, as soon as you say Microsoft and Google are doing this, am I wrong? But I'm thinking, are they also looking for a way to monetize this? And, and why wouldn't they? But still,
0: uh, well, mm. Google is interesting, and Google wants to monetize a number of things. But at the same time, there's this other side of Google that is about – medical research and and longevity. And this is a pet project of uh, Larry, because Larry and Sergey both think that, that at one point in time they said that to achieve all that they wanted to accomplish, they would have to live to be 150. And so they have been applying machine learning and research to try and figure out how to increase longevity. So it's 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 not the profit motive as much as the ulterior motive of actually them being able to continue living (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah it'd be nice if we all had that Uh, i said a moment ago that uh
1: we might be the last car driving generation there is an argument that we might be the last comparatively short-lived generation that the one after us will not be immortal but will go on vastly longer lives this makes us the unluckiest generation Ever really, doesn't it? Well, yeah.
0: I, I don't want to go down as saying that because no. uh, I mean, it's far too depressing. Depends yeah. on what happens with your Brexit, for example. You could have lasting effects that make the next generation a lot unluckier. <laughs> okay, I don't Sorry. know why I'm laughing, <laughs> it's true, but yes, okay. you're laughing because crying hurts too much, <laughs> yes,
1: okay. right? Uh. I'll I'll sob later over my tea. Okay. (sighs) I'll join you. (laughs) Okay. So Google is doing a good thing and Microsoft will do an efficient thing. I still think Apple will do the privacy thing. Uh, I could be wrong to have more faith in Apple. It's just, you know, so many things in the past. This thing with even location stuff, Google saying uh, you can switch off location tracking and really doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So maybe Apple is secretly evil and just covers it better. But right now, um, I really like HealthKit. I think the strides that are happening there, the abilities it's giving the world are a
0: fantastic thing. So more of that, I'd be happy with. The thing that matters here is adoption. And Apple has done a decent job of having adoption of ResearchKit and a decent job of adoption with CareKit. And they know what's required to get adoption having gone through the banking system to get Apple Pay adopted everywhere where Android Pay is still not by many financial institutions. And so that's that's the detail that really counts is – getting people participating. Google has tried to do Google medical records in years past, and couldn't get adoption. Google has Google Fit, which doesn't have near the adoption that HealthKit does. So uh, there's a, a lot at work there that says that Google and Microsoft, if they do manage to revolutionize these things, they're going to have to do it in a way that catches up on adoption. You know, Apple currently has somewhere between 50 and 100 institutions that are sharing medical records into HealthKit that are available on Apple health right now. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're dealing with bureaucracy, it's not nothing.
1: No, I'm impressed with that. I'm just conscious that here I am liking Apple, but ultimately there are so many more Android phones in the world. That uh, people who have that are not contributing data to anywhere, uh, so just been able to have something that they worked. They they would have problems catching up with Apple's connections with institutions. But as soon as something works and is adopted on every Android phone, that mass of data would be fantastic.
0: Right. So the the thing is that ResearchKit is is open source. CareKit is open source, I believe, but. Um, the health kit data is not. And so what could happen Mm -hmm. is that people can figure out how to work with research kit uh, and other devices potentially, or that Apple can go ahead and bless that as they've blessed Apple music on other platforms. Or this can be a wedge to say, you know, you can get your records the traditional way by speaking with your provider, or you could go have an iPhone and have them all.
1: Yes. Right. And which one would be Apple's preferred way? I can't quite work that one out. So, mm. I mean, <laughs>
0: Apple, Apple is very subtle about this. They don't really advertise this, but it's it's sort of a, a nice byproduct of having the iPhone. They, um, yes. you know, they're busy talking about normal things like Apple Pay Cash and trying to do person-to-person payments and things like that, which they also need to push, quite frankly. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I think... You know, I, I used an Android phone over the summer. I used an Android phone for two months as a primary device. And for notifications and and day-to-day use, it was pretty slick. It was certainly faster and more responsive on a two-year-old Nexus six P than it was on my my aging iPhone 6. So I I really felt the the sort of pangs the sort of tug at the heartstrings could i go with android full time but there's so many other benefits to using the iphone and using all of the things that apple has in place that um i i think i'll be sticking with ios for the foreseeable future
1: uh, it's not um the iphone it's the apple ecosystem that that makes sense okay. it really does it does there is one oddity about the Apple ecosystem. You mentioned about Apple Pay and Apple having to work hard to get institutions doing it. In the UK, at least, the moment Apple Pay launched, it was everywhere because it worked with any um, contactless system that was in, and that was it straight away. So
0: the UK has both uh, chip card on the, uh, the the credit cards, chip and pin, yeah. and. Yes also had tap to pay in place with oyster card and things like that for years. Uh, yes. America had an early, early trial with tap to pay. And it failed abysmally because it was said in the press to not be secure at the time. And wow. that was that was decades ago, it was early on not to not very secure. And it was it was in place and used at McDonald's. And I think Exxon Speedpay were the places that it was used at the gas pump at the petrol pump. right, And, uh, you know, the, the stories that would go around were you know, if you had it in your pocket, and someone brushed up against you with your reader, they could steal your number kind of thing. And right. you have to recall that it's only been the past couple of years that America transitioned to chip and signature. We didn't, no, even didn't realize that. Chip we, and, oh. we never had chip on the cards before they were always swipe the stripe cards. And right. we only just transitioned in the past few years to chip and signature. We did not transition to chip and pin.
1: This explains why I keep hearing that the greater majority of credit card fraud happens in America. It's because uh, the system is inherently less secure. Does that sound plausible?
0: Well, what happens is that it's not so much sealing Stripe data, it's that the hacks are at the register or the hacks oh, are at wow. the data center.
1: Right. Okay. I said earlier that Britain technology was lacking, but in this one case, it actually seems uh, in place. I don't
0: know how that happened, but I'm Uh, glad about it. It came down to a cost assessment, right? The transition didn't take place until the risk of reputation damage and fraud damage Exceeded the cost of replacing all of the pin terminals and all of the register software and all of the cards in circulation It, it was it was a huge transition cost yeah. And so as long as the cost of fraud and reputation damage were less than that cost right. No one cared that makes sense and I forget
1: I mean uh, How huge a job it would be to change everything in the states? Um, well, I thought it was a big job here, but it's infinitesimal compared to the number of
0: Registers. a little bit larger stuff. than you. Yeah, yeah tiny <laughs> yes. Your island nation over there.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Sorry. No, it's true. I look out the window. I can see the sea. No, I can't. Actually.
0: But we had a politician over here who used to say that she could see Russia from her front porch.
1: It oh, didn't go very terrible. well for her. It Sarah was, Palin, yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh, she, I remember when she seemed such a threat to our politics, and now is kind of sweetly innocent. But
0: that's getting too serious, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> we don't really discuss politics deeply on this show, probably for good reason. But, yes. uh, you know, it, it, if if we've offended any of you listeners out there, please feel free to let us know at news at appleinsider.com. I do apologize. <laughs> yes wow. and for, for me too for any brexit fans we have
1: over here there must be one or two because we voted for it so okay
0: yes <laughs> let's change again to a completely new topic so apple partner quanta it may see a surge in orders there's a rumor that apple is working on a new inexpensive notebook and they're thinking shipments will top about 10 million units in December as a result of of this apple order. Now this comes from Taiwan's Digitimes and they didn't name this as a new MacBook. Digitimes has a very mixed track record when it comes to Apple products, but it's pretty reliable when they talk about the Taiwanese electronics industry. So this this is interesting. You know, the the recently MacBook Pros were were updated. Rather, mm. they were updated recently. But the 12-inch MacBook and 13-inch MacBook Air have stayed pretty stagnant for a while, haven't they? They have.
1: I still really like them, though. If I was in the market for a notebook, I'd be so tempted by those current MacBooks, even though they're a bit old now. What MacBook do you use? Uh, I actually – I'm mostly on an iMac, but I have an ancient MacBook Pro from about 2009 and things I take out for the odd emergency. Otherwise, it's my iPad Pro for everything. It's just I work with a a friend who got out one of these MacBooks, and I loved the keyboard. I loved the display. She's recently – just, I mean, this week, she's bought an iMac. She said she was using the MacBook every day, and she felt like it was being worn out by it. So I'm not sure how useful it is over extended use. But for the odd thing I would have, uh, I love that form factor. I even really like the pink gold. You know, I'm just, I'm really, I'm a style guru more than a writer. That's what I think it is.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Well, so the. It's an interesting report. Let's keep it in mind because we've got a couple of different kinds of rumors, right? There's obviously this rumor that the 12-inch MacBook is overdue for an update. Um, There's a sense that, of course, the MacBook Air is definitely overdue for an update. And the reason the MacBook Air is hung around is because it is so inexpensive. And it does a little bit more than the MacBook with its lower spec processor. Mm -hmm. The, The thing that we we've thought about is that, of course, the MacBook needs to get a new keyboard to keep pace with the updated keyboard in the new MacBook Pros. Also, we've had this rumor for ages and ages and ages talking about ARM processors in a MacBook. And oh, yes. now we, we sort of saw some of this kind of talk at the end of WWDC announcements where they said that, by the way, here's the system by which you'll be able to run iOS apps on your Mac. And it's called Marzipan. And they showed that they had brought some of the, uh, the iOS apps over to Mac OS that it was very much a system in development and that people should start looking at it, but it's not finalized exactly. But they let the cat out of the bag. Now, if you had an ARM processor, then you could run those Pen apps without having to emulate them for x86 or recompile them for x86 or x64. You know, you would just be running them mm. on their native home platform, their native chip. If you compiled all of macOS for ARM, and then had fat binaries the same way that we had fat binaries when we transitioned from PowerPC to Intel. Does this get interesting?
1: Actually, it gets slightly eerie. Uh, we run a piece uh, this week on Apple Insider about the history of the Mac Pro. Um, and uh, when I was writing it, I was looking at some of the videos of various key launches. And I watched Steve Jobs explaining why they were moving from PowerPC to Intel. And... Actually, some of the arguments feel like they are exactly right. Again, that uh, he said we have all these something like we have all these great products we want to do for you, but we don't know how we'll do them with the current roadmap. And he meant PowerPC, and he swapped over to Intel. But again, we are already seeing things delayed by Intel's uh, slower than expected releases. that's suddenly when this first came out you know, cheaper macbooks that really doesn't sound like apple and what ultimately would be the difference between that and an ipad with a smart keyboard but um i have a feeling that if apple does go to arm it'll do what it did with intel it'll go all the way everything will swap over um but maybe i'm wrong maybe this is like a test for it i'm interested yeah
0: Well, the reason that I bring up ARM is is that we've had this rumor before, but ARM has released a roadmap. Now, ARM has never really released a roadmap before, but the roadmap that they've released makes strong comparisons between themselves and Intel's mid-tier i5 processors, and it shows them surpassing those this year. Wow. Okay. And especially next year with their their next-level stuff. So they're really pushing this as a potential laptop kind of chip. It's, it's intriguing to me because, you know, you named the PowerPC transition and having rewatched the keynote. That came down to IBM's failure to follow through on their promises at the time. Yes. You know, they, they were making the G5 PowerMac chips and they had promised all along that they would be able to make a chip for laptops for a PowerBook G5. And they utterly failed to do so. And so here we are. That's how that happened.
1: Uh, do we know if any Windows uh, manufacturers are considering ARM? Um, because they have the same thing, I suppose.
0: Well, uh, actually, it's happened uh, already. Microsoft it's the uh, the Surface RT. The Microsoft Surface RT was an ARM-based product oh, a couple of that. years ago. And that yes. utterly failed in the marketplace because it, it was really quite limited as to what you could run on it. And... Mm. There's been a push to do it again. There's there's another product that's a more current product where they're going back to that, but the uh, this is an idea that keeps coming up, and it keeps coming up because of the performance and because of battery management. Interesting. You can do a whole lot if if you have that ARM chip. Now, a valid question is: You just said you're using an iPad instead of a laptop, so yeah. Uh, <sighs> It's it's sort of a where where does this all fit kind of thing, right? Yes, and and of course to the consumer it probably doesn't matter because if you have the laptop and running Mac OS you don't care what chip is there, no, absolutely as long as it runs, right?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm. And yet
1: it seems to me I remember with the launch of the iPad there was that famous slide where Jobs was saying it has to be something that sits in between a laptop and a phone. It's got to be better than this, and oh who uh, buying an ipad would strictly speaking, care about that but because it fits quite naturally it, it made sense you knew whether you wanted one you knew whether it would be any use to you and then you bought it uh so i think finding a natural narrative for where things fit helps apple um, you mentioned battery performance. I think I'd totally forgotten about the transition from PowerPC to Intel Was as well as performance. Uh, Apple went into really great detail in this uh, presentation about uh, the, specifically the power consumption. And they said, yes, normally you think about that for desktops, but it has all of these implications for uh, desktops as well. Sorry, think about it for laptops, it has implications for everything. You can do this and you can do that. Um, so suddenly battery power... And stuff. Uh, this is becoming a perfect storm. Um, they must swap to arm. I think we've decided that. Okay.
0: Well, it's settled. There you You're go. Right. There you go. <laughs> Done.
1: <laughs> it's, it's good to help Apple out with some advice every now and again,
0: isn't it? Yeah. Oh, they need it, don't they? Yes. <laughs> yes. Here's an example where they really need it. There was a young man from Australia who has pled guilty to downloading 90 gigabytes of secure files from Apple's internal systems. And he accessed customer accounts in repeated hacks from his nice suburban home. A teenager in Melbourne, (laughs) dreamed of working for Apple one day, will be sentenced next month. Now, this happened last year. Apple alerted the FBI, who coordinated with Australian authorities, and, and Apple was very, of course, sensitive about publicity. The case was kept out of the media until these court proceedings. Now, aside from the 90 gig of data, it's really unclear just how widespread this breach is, or, or what type of counts were accessed, or what other information was there, and we don't know whether it was worldwide, or limited to Australia, or or any of this. Apple's not commenting, in a big surprise. But um, he did it from his suburban family home, and his home was raided last year by authorities. They found all the files in a folder named – are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Hacky, hack, hack.
1: Okay. are you sure this is australia because <laughs> in britain we have things like boaty, McBoatface and things as a, a name yeah, suggested yeah. for things i like this guy now hacky sorry hacky hack <laughs> hack. Okay. yes all right
0: australian federal <laughs> police seized two apple laptops they found that the accused had obtained authorized keys to access apple systems there's no indication or they we don't know if the acquired data was provided any third parties um He communicated with others using WhatsApp about the intrusion, but the content of those conversations has not been released. It's – yeah. Now, earlier this week, just to keep things in context, Australia's government has a debate going on – they're scheduling – over whether to force a weakening of encryption by Apple and other companies. And uh, this is something that comes up perennially with governments. They continually want the keys. And – I expect Apple to, to maintain their current position of no. No, under no circumstances. Um, Apple was fined $6.7 in June by Australian regulators over iPhone and iPad repair practices. Um, also very much kind of a non-story. Mm. Right? $6.7 mm. $6. Australian dollars. Do you think Apple blinked too hard at that?
1: Well, we say that, but it's still, um, you know, somebody in the accounts department got very cross writing that check or something, I'm sure. So
0: just. Yes, but their repair policies maintain them as the central supply of parts and documentation and service. And they do so even though. The alternative position is that parts should be available to third parties at will, that documentation should be available, and that you should be able to choose who you want to service your device. But they do this to maintain tight control for a reason. And and the reason is that they want to make sure that the parts are up to their standards. They want to make sure yeah. that the work is up to their standards. and. Because when a device fails and fails spectacularly, whether that's up in flames or damage to property or damage to a person or, or anything else horrible that could happen, it's their reputation that gets the hit. And it also means that they know that their parts assembled maintain a secure device. The secure element is the the gatekeeper, if you will, of all privacy and security in the device. And they need to make sure that it and touch ID and face ID and all those things are not um, compromised. So they have reasons for being the central source of this. But what it's done is there's an interesting side effect of this, that there is a whole business around producing aftermarket compatible parts. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you can't you can't get the screens from Apple and you can't get them from Apple suppliers because they don't want to lose their contract. But there's this whole built up industry around supplying third party parts that are part compatible and maybe not as good or maybe as good. But it's hard to know as a consumer, yeah. you know, whether or not the flexible printed circuit was made up to the same standards kind of thing. But um, it's out there. And, and that's what sprung up in in to fill this vacuum that Apple has allowed to happen.
1: Interesting. So uh, you're seeing the fines as uh, well, Apple regard as the cost of doing business. Uh, But also, I think you're saying you can't tell as a consumer. I think my automatic assumption must be that a part has got to be not as good as Apple because Apple can make or will make a million of these things. And a third party company might make a few hundred or a few thousand of them. So the uh, chance of the kinks being worked out is infinitely greater on the Apple side. But the expense of Apple repairs. Yes. Yeah. So
0: I was, uh, when I was traveling and I was using the Android phone, my daughter was using her SE and she had it in an Otterbox case, a, a really, really rugged, proper case. And she dropped it three feet to the floor. And the screen did not shatter, there was no broken glass, but the mm-hmm. colors appeared in stripes on the screen they, they you could still see every image, but touch died as a result. Wow. And okay. so the screen, the screen was functional. The home button was functional, but you couldn't touch it. And there was a weird cast to some stripes in the thing, but you could still see all of the content and all the content was represented. It was just as if some of the stripes were faded in color. And I took it to a kiosk along the side of the street from where we were, and for 250 shekels, because of the currency where I was, they changed it to a replacement display. And I know that display is a third-party, not an original product. I'm aware of it. It functions. Mm -hmm. The touch functions on it maybe the touch controller on the apple product is slightly better but i can't really measure that it seems to function perfectly from that standpoint the only thing that i can complain about the repair was that they i don't think they used the correct square adhesive around the home button because the home button the the touch id button has a little bit more rock to it than it does when the phone ships from apple
1: okay but it still works as touch id
0: totally functional i didn't yeah absolutely functional didn't change that's brilliant then
1: yes i mean i don't know what the shekel to dollar rate is uh, but that,
0: uh, that was somewhere cheap. around the 3.6 range i think okay
1: a bargain
0: no- nominally um, 70 bucks let's say
1: okay um i had a screen repaired uh by apple i think it was 90 pounds but it was a couple of years ago and i'm trying to guess now which is not a massive massive difference uh from that, oh, but it's more.
0: It's quite right, a bit more. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, you see, I'm I'm rich. Obviously, that's what it is. uh I don't notice this small change.
0: Yeah. So stuff. He t- 250 said two hundred and fifty yeah. shekels is sixty-seven dollars, and ninety British pounds is one hundred and seventeen. Okay, I'm really not confident now
1: of how much it cost, but it was around that mark yeah. for it. Uh, but okay i mean actually i remember thinking it was less than i feared uh and it was obviously less than getting a new phone for it so i was quite relieved but uh, i'm quite reassured now that you had a good experience with an alternative Uh, next time
0: i think i think my concern is with these newer phones iphone 7 and forward where they're uh, used a lot of glue and underwater resistant because obviously anyone Um, outside of apple is going to Irreparably damage that that water resistance.
1: Right. So you realize you just made me think, oh, I could go to a third party thing. And now you've taken that away from me. For one moment, I had all these opportunities. I dangled that bright have...
0: future out there you and I did. snatch it back every <laughs> bit as quick.
1: You did. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> right. okay. I, I realized actually we got away from the, the teenage hacker. And the thing that keeps coming back to my mind is what was the 90 gigabytes? What could fit into that? Is that just customer billing details? Is I, I we'll never know. But I'm fascinated by the specificness of 90 gigabytes. What could he have got?
0: So here's here are the things that I'm speculating about, and this is pure speculation. This isn't in the news story. It's just me spitballing here. If you're hacking Apple, there there are two things that you want, right? there's, there's the reputation from your mates for having done it. There's, so there's reputation gain, right? What could you possibly get? Well, you could get unreleased software. You could get internal Mm. documentation. You Mm -hmm. but but the real prize, if there's a prize is the ability to undo iCloud. Right? And, and by iCloud, I mean iCloud lock, where if your device is stolen um, and someone resets it, they can't get into your device or can't open the device without putting in your email address and password for iCloud to be able to get back into the device. Uh, say, right. effect- effectively, yes. stolen devices are nearly useless if you can't defeat that. And so one of the real things that's out there is if you could steal the information required to be able to unlock stolen iOS devices mm. then you would have a product that you could resell.
1: That makes sense. Because, well, there's also things of where this data would be. You're saying we don't know if it was worldwide and stuff. How much does Apple release outside Cupertino? Is it everything?
0: Well, um, So Apple mm. Apple has data centers worldwide because what they're trying to do is make the services faster. And so you make services faster by placing data centers local to where the consumers are. Chinese data centers are in China. And in fact, there was a whole kerfuffle about that because they had to be held by, uh, you know, with Chinese access to them kind of thing. Uh, Presumably, there's a data center in Australia so that the Australians data is kept there as well. Um, You you know, trying to push data over transatlantic cable as opposed to things that are local to you. There's a speed hit. Um hmm. so that's that's the what we don't know is did he get information from Australian consumers did he get customer information from worldwide we have no idea I was just speculating I just yeah but
1: you're right those are the targets well they're the targets you would think I, I would I don't know something about the fact that he dreamed of working for Apple which I suspect might not happen now um and that he was a teenager i think is what you said if they they cued us the prestige every time i've hacked into apple it's been to score some points and impress my friends down the pub really
0: yeah okay impress yeah. your friends get girls whatever the, the old thing was exactly <sighs> the, so God. there is this dream of of hacking someone and then working there the the concept and it's very misinformed and very misguided, but the idea is if I show them they've got a vulnerability, then they'll hire me to fix it. And mm. and there is such a thing as penetration testing, but when you do pen testing, when you do this kind of thing, you are hired as a security consultant first. And then you nice. do the hack. It's it's not the reverse order where you you want to be um, want to show up and say, Hey, by the way, look at all I got. No. Doesn't go over nearly mm. as well as when it's prearranged. The <laughs> okay. but but uh, you know, it's it's a valid question is how do you position yourself as someone that should be hired for that kind of penetration testing? Well, what have you done? Well, I hacked Apple and I got ninety gigs. Interesting. Okay.
1: Good point. Yes.
0: So okay. so he may not work for Apple, but he may be able to spin it into a consultancy for penetration testing and security testing. Okay.
1: There was something oddly innocent about the the dreaming to work for Apple. But yes, this could have set his. It could ultimately have been a good move for his career, I suppose. Uh, presumably, he's not going to prison. We don't know. Actually, sentencing is next month, isn't it? Or it something. is. It is. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, he's only teenage. He'll be out before he's. Um, <sighs> yeah. My age. Yes.
0: Okay. Last story I've got. Last thing I want to talk about is the App Store. Now. There was a meeting held last year at a New York loft. We're only finding out about it now that this is from a report in business insider. Apple convened an invitation only meeting in New York in uh, April of 2017. So going way back aimed at letting developers know that the model, the business model for apps was changing and that what Apple needed them to know is that they needed to think about recurring revenue from subscriptions rather than one-time sales. What we've seen in the past year is that more and more apps are switching to a subscription model, which led to Apple's announcement of the last quarterly earnings report that paid subscriptions from Apple and third parties have passed 300 million. Now, we don't know which developers were at the meeting. We don't know who was there representing Apple. We don't even know who owns the loft where it took place. What we know is that Apple introduced the developers at this meeting to an idea referred to as subscription 2.0. And this is the idea of software as a service that they needed to shift their focus away from upfront costs into long-term revenue. This makes complete sense to me from the standpoint of solving the question of how do you keep app developers in business, which is something Mm. Apple has to have been concerned with, right? You know, if you're an app developer, you have one hill when you release the app and a lot of valleys in terms of income earning, right? It's basically you launch and it dives off a cliff afterwards. And how do you keep people going and how do you keep developers able to keep going if, if this is the model?
1: I like it. When you put it like that, it makes sense. It's Apple obviously looking after its own interests, but also looking after developers, trying to help them. Um, but it's just funny, the idea of a secret meeting in a New York loft, uh, selected audience. It just feels like Apple you know, cracking its knuckles and say, right, this is how it's going to be from now on. You're going to pay us a subscription. It just feels a bit more ominous well, until it's, you it's, put it that it's way. Not and I like it.
0: Apple saying you're going to pay us a subscription. It's it's Apple telling developers, right? You're charging 99 cents for your app. How exactly do you intend to feed yourself? How are how are you going to afford a new MacBook Pro with shiny new Xcode if you're charging a dollar for your app and all of your sales are on your first day of release?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: Now, Apple okay. wants their 30% that they take from every App Store purchase, absolutely. But it's it's uh it's symbiotic really, right? They A- Apple doesn't have an App Store if there aren't developers. And developers What happens
1: Sorry, what happens no, no, with um, Apple's cut of subscription? Uh is that still 30% of every year I subscribe? Is it? I
0: think that it is.
1: Okay, then that would make sense, uh wouldn't it?
0: Okay. I was I was getting into a discussion about the thirty percent with someone on Reddit, and, and the first rule is never get into a discussion with someone on Reddit. That that's <laughs> that was my first error. But the yeah. the fellow was talking about how Amazon purchases, uh, yeah, specifically Kindle kind of thing or Prime Video don't happen through the Prime Video app and don't happen through the Kindle app. That you have to go out to a browser to be able to do that. Or in his case, he was telling his girlfriend to order on Android because Android doesn't take that cut, and he was right. saying that if they were going to do it on iOS that they would have to raise the price by 30%. And I said, no, 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 that's not how any of this works. The way that this works is that you keep the prices uniform across consumers. The consumer seems at the same price and you eat the 30%. And the reason you do this, he says, well, the 30% is, the, is being charged because Apple claims they can charge it because they're secure they're, their app store is more secure. And again, no, no, that's not how any of this works. The reason that Apple charges 30% is because they take care of a lot of the tax documentation that you need to have to be able to sell worldwide. They take care of the payment processing so that you can sell worldwide. You don't have to advertise yourself worldwide. You list once on one app store and they take care of it for you. That's what you're paying your 30% for. Every payment processor, no matter who you're doing, takes a fee. Now, yes, if you're Amazon, you don't need Apple to do that. You can do it just as well yourself. But for small-time developers, you absolutely want Apple to be your payment processor because trying to arrange that for yourself in different countries is a giant headache. Well, actually, I have an app
1: on the App Store and I went through the internationalist. And even with Apple doing everything, uh, I found it quite dizzying working out what applied where and things. So the idea of having to do it all from scratch for myself, it's just, I wouldn't have, I would have stopped or walked away. I also
0: used to have an app on the App Store.
1: What's what's your app? Mine's called River Passage. It's a poem by a British uh, author called Jeff Phelps. Um, done as an arts council project, really, rather than a, a big commercial thing. Uh, but it was an interesting model getting his work in a new form, seeing how it might change poetry apps. And it's still a thing in progress, really, but the app bit, um, we were required to sell it for the lowest price, the 99 cents thing, and that meant having to make sure I understood all of the sales process for it. And, yes, it always boiled down to just ticking a box here or there with Apple. Um, The complexity was hidden and I still found it a bit daunting. I haven't yet uh, been compelled back with the next release, but sooner or later, I will because they do make it easier. Um, I thought you were going to say that the thing about eating the 30 percent is, yes, all of that makes sense. But also you are going to sell more on iOS than you will on Android uh, because people will buy things on ios so yes the the dollar value per unit is the same but you will sell more units on uh iphones and so it's worth it's another cost of doing business to get that custom in so uh, i trust the person on reddit was uh, thoroughly persuaded and convinced by your argument yes
0: i, I think you overestimate reddit <laughs> <laughs> okay well we've overshot our time i meant to keep this a little bit shorter but it's been such a pleasure speaking with you william i have enjoyed this and we should do it again I'd like that. It'd be nice chuck Yes. You know, thank you. And if you've been listening to us and you've enjoyed this one, please let me know. And in fact, if you've not enjoyed it, if you think this was a complete waste of time and was awful, you can tell me that too. Uh, go ahead and reach out to us. I'm at VMarks on Twitter, or we can, you can email news at appleinsider.com. Or William, what are you on Twitter?
1: I'm W Gallagher. So
0: W-G-A-L-L-A-G-H-E-R. Wonderful. What? That's fantastic. This is the end of another great episode of the Apple Insider podcast. We will be back next week. In the meantime, go ahead and let us know what you thought, and go ahead and please uh, give us feedback. And also, make sure you keep an eye out for William's stories on Apple Insider this next week um actually i was so looking forward to
1: the articles that are coming out next week on apple insider things i really like exploring as a journalist so i hope everybody enjoys it too uh, and uh victor it's been a, a treat having a proper chat with you thank you for this
0: wonderful let's go have some tea Excellent. Oh dear, i'll put the kettle on right now okay biscuits 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 I need to let all of our listeners know that Jamf Now makes it easy to set up, manage, and protect your Apple devices so you can focus on your business. There's no IT experience needed. With Jamf Now, you can check your digital inventory, distribute Wi-Fi and email settings, deploy apps, protect company data, and even lock or wipe a device as needed from anywhere. And now, Apple Insider podcast listeners can start securing your business today by setting up your first three devices for free forever. Add more for just $2 a month per device. Create your free account today at jamf.com slash appleinsider. That's jamfcom dot slash Apple Insider.